0: Hello, you lovely, lovely listeners, and welcome again to Man Up, the men's mental health podcast. My name is Andy Richardson, and sitting over in the Baltics in the lovely land of Estonia is the
1: monumental Tommy Dankwar. How are you, sir? I am very, very well, thank you very much. And tere kui kila, kudus that's some Estonian for you all just to say hello and to prove to you that I am actually here in Estonia. Boom. Okay. And what, and what did that mean? I've got no idea, mate. I'll just change it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just hello. How are you doing? Very simple. <laughs> Very simple. Oh, that's
0: that's lovely. And, and so your two years of learning Estonian,
1: that's all you can come up with, is it? That's all I can do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I see the English thing, like the universal hand signals of, beer you know where I, where I just <laughs> yeah. eat, drink in my mouth and it's got to be pretty far so far you know all good, good mate good yeah. so how have you been how's life been over there do you know what it's um it feels funny I always say like oh you know I've got nothing to complain about but I have been complaining a lot I <laughs> um I, I think I told you didn't I? like um so i to get right into it like the nooks and crannies of it all. Obviously, I had the vasectomy operation. I told you about that. Yep. And I've had like loads of discomfort, mate, on, on my right nut. It's been fucking agony. Yes. Now, honestly, yes. I, it's really been... I had to go back to the clinic today to get checked out. And uh, they gave me an ultrasound. I was like, lying there in the bloody like doctor surgery having an ultrasound and I was just like this, it's like, it reminds me of when my wife was pregnant. It was like scanning my balls. Like she's <laughs> looking at my knot on the oh screen. Um, I, I know, but it's been, it's been getting me down, man. Like I've not been able to exercise properly. You yeah. know, a lot of things I want to do. And yeah, it's actually been fucking pissing me off. And then that coupled with, uh, the kids have just gone back to school. So preparation for school is always, always a stressful one. So oh. well, if I'm honest, I th- bit sort of uh I've not felt great. Do you know what I mean? I've been trying to sort of you know take some time for myself, but it's just been it's the first week's always a bit challenging. So I'll say I've had better weeks, but I know there's there's a reason for why I've not been feeling fantastic and you know I'm hoping like you know get it through this week. Next week's better. Life is good. Oh. Hopefully Doctor's going to fix my nut and I'm going to be a happy chappy again. Oh, my
0: God. I mean, it's so true, isn't it? I remember when I had my hernia operation um, a couple of years ago uh, and I was basically um, bed bound for a week and a half. What that does to your mental health is just, I mean, I really don't know how people can have, you know, live with lifelong debilitating diseases that makes them, Sort yeah. of bed bound or whatever, you know. It's to, um, I really, you know. At one point, my parents were sort of because I stayed at my parents, and they, you know, they looked after me. And and um, you know, to go to the toilet, I'd have to ask them to sort of lift me up, help me up. And it was like, yeah, shit, you know, and that happens to people when they're older, and that you know. So you know, good, good physical health is so connected to good mental health, you know. And 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 it just shows, you know, just um, enjoy yourself in life, but. F- for goodness sake, look after yourself as well, because bloody hell. Yeah.
2: It's,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, you know.
1: Absolutely. But do you know what else as well? Because it's this all tied in as well, because I've been feeling in a really like rich vein of fitness and stuff like that. You know, I've lost some weight and everything after your sort of um, turning me on to the intermittent fasting and stuff. So yep. I've been feeling like I was feeling really good and I've, I've dropped like almost 10 kgs in like just about a month and a half. Yeah, and um, I'm feeling really nice, and then like this fucking thing happened again. I'm just like, oh my god, why? I feel sorry for myself. I tell you what, right? I was not expecting to go on a fucking rant like that straight away. I normally play it down a bit, but I went right in there, didn't I? Well,
0: we, we well we've almost we did almost a whole podcast on your on your testicles, didn't we? Do you remember? There's one, there's one my, episode.
1: Why not? Is more impo- More in a, what's the word? It's better known than I am. <laughs>
0: So, um, right. So we do have a guest. Um, I, 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 we'll get onto to that in a minute because it's very exciting. Um, uh, I just wanted to, there's two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, firstly, let's not talk about how I am, you know, because that's, that, you know, I'm all right. If you want to ask the question, go and ask it. Ask it.
1: Andy, 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 mate, how are you? I'm are all ya? right. On a
0: scale of right. 10, how are you? What? wanted to seven point five okay good work, all right that's not bad. thank you very much um, so we uh, so two things I wanted to talk about firstly um, is the uh, the great British institution and probably other countries as w- as well but the great British institution of the cup of tea uh, because I realized that both me and Tommy before we do these podcasts we pour ourselves a cup of tea, and should we do a collective drink? Have you got yours next to you? I have. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Go, three two, one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, anyway, you mine you <laughs> <it too> slept. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That didn't go according to plan at all. Oh dear! <laughs> You're right
0: there. You're right. I'm good. So. I'm good. It really is a, 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 like a comfort blanket, isn't it? A cup of tea. And um, it's, it's underrated, you know, I think, because, you know, like we say, it's, it's often our way of avoiding a conversation. is it? It's like, uh, you know, if you can't handle consoling someone, you're like, oh, well, I'll make you a cup of tea. How's that? But it is a good mm. way of sort of saying I care, isn't it? You know, and so
1: just wanted to do a little I- tribute to the cup of tea and how, what, what good it like does that. to your mental health. I like that, but do you know what? You're right. It has become a ritual, is not it? We sort of like jump on the call a bit early, sort of like run through a few things, make sure that we're up to scratch. And it's like, right, well, let's go and do the tea. It is now become a staple part of the Man Up Men's Mental Health Podcast. So here's to tea. Cheers. Here's here's the tea. So the the
0: next thing I briefly wanted to talk about, and and it is connected to our guest that we have on, is um. At home with the Furies, the the boxing TV show, a uh, reality TV show. Now, have you seen it? I know I did get you to try
1: to watch an, an episode. What did did you watch it? I did, I did watch it, and um, I do you know what? I've seen it, and I've seen him posting about it. Especially, you know, I like boxing, I follow boxing. But I refuse to watch it because I'm sulking a bit with Tyson Fury because um, I I think that he ducked a fight against Usyk, so I'm just like. Right, I'm not. I'm not his friend anymore, so I refuse to watch it. But I did watch an episode. Yes, I have watched an episode, and yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? He's a he's a character. He's an absolute character.
0: Yeah, I I just think. Well, I mean, I really like Paris Fury. Actually, I've realised, but I I I just think it's a bit, it's a real um, insight into you know you might not be into reality TV shows or, or whatever, yeah. but it's a real insight into the mind of a sports person who's retired you know like a very high level you know sports person who's retired and what that can do to your mental health you know and he's so yeah. open about it um I think it's quite refreshing and it's a good I think it's quite a good uh, you know a good thing to, for people to to watch you know because people think that people who are celebrities or whatever they've got their life made or, and what have you but Really, we're all vulnerable to, um, to poor mental health, you know, no matter what field of life we live in.
1: Yeah. Well, do you know what, actually? Um, you know, speaking of Tyson Fury, when I've been doing the mental health talks out here uh, and the boxing workshops, I've used his image and, um, you know, talking about sort of breaking down stigmas about men speaking about their mental health and showing vulnerability. And um, I show these kids, like, do you know who this guy is? yeah that's Tyson fury. he's a British boxer. he's a champion, yeah I'm like, yeah, he's fucking wellard and um i and I say and he, well, he's had mental health problems, he's struggled with mental health and he's been open sp- and- sp- spoken about it, and they're like, what you know, they're really surprised by this that you know the hardest man on the planet you know is uh ha- has been so open about it, so he yeah in that respect, I think he's a really good role model. Still gutted that he and Lucy have not fought. And I reckon it's his fault, so I've still got the hump. But, yes, I'm glad that he is shining light on mental health again, especially for the men out there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. on to our guest. So so in a way, this next guest that we have is, is almost like the ideal guest because I have a connection with him and you do. So I have the connection in the fact that I'm from Essex. So nice. I, so I and so is he. So I understand the Essex uh, phenomenon, as it were, <laughs> and, be, and being an Essex person. And you, you're well into your boxing. And he uh, has set up his own boxing agency as a boxing promoter. So so you can talk all your boxy stuff and I can talk all the Essexy stuff with him. So, um, yes. Do we, w- Pardon? What did you say? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yes. So we have reality TV star, sports and talent promoter, Charlie Sims. Um, Charlie has made a name for himself in uh, programs like The Only Way is Essex, also known as TOWIE. And he's since set up up his own boxing agency and talent agency uh, and has even produced his own reality TV show called The House of Sims with his sisters. Uh, but throughout his career, he's encountered his own mental health issues and he's passionate about spreading the word about Goods Men's Mental Health. So he's here to share his thoughts on that and other stuff. So welcome, Charlie.
2: Hey, gentlemen. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, hey, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure and it's an honour. So ha- how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing good. Um was looking forward to coming onto the podcast. Uh, just heard a bit of your chit chat there. Going on about you in Estonia and having a vasectomy—that was that's lined up my morning a bit. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just talking Thank a bit about—I mean, I've moved to LA now, and I've been here for a year, and just talking about the good old British cu- cup of tea missed out on that quite a bit. So yeah, it was bringing back oh, a few uh, few memories.
0: Yeah, oh. I like the way you use the phrase "going on." About we do t- we do go, go on
1: quite a bit. So sorry about that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, before we start. I just say something before we start uh right charlie i we've done this podcast for this sort of fourth year now, and we've we've had some pretty cool guests on um I have never had so many people as excited about you coming on as um you know this is it's different i want I've got to read you one of the texts that I received um I said that we have got Charlie Sims coming on, and i'm actually I'm gonna name her <laughs> Katie. Was a massive Toei fan. That's what it's called, Toei, isn't it? The only way is Essex Toei. Toei, It's not about toes. Toei. Anyway, Howie, yeah. carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and when I said that we were speaking to you, no way. Once you've hit five exclamation marks, he just did a big Kardashian type series in America called The House of Sims with his girlfriend and sisters. I watched it. Love the Sims. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Big smiley face. <laughs> it, it's pandemonium out here. They love you, mate. <laughs>
2: That's brilliant. I'm glad she watched it, and um, hopefully, I'll live up to uh, her expectations as being a guest on the show.
0: <laughs> so nice. So let's go. Let's go back to uh, the beginnings. Um, so being an Essex lad, um, how was that growing up in Essex, sort of pre-Towie? And, and, and what, what were you aware of the Essex boy and girl culture and, and all the sort of stick that us Essex people received? And um, and then maybe we can talk about what that does to your self-esteem and your... I mean, that's quite a heavy question, maybe. Let's let's just talk about how it was growing up in Essex.
2: Yeah, I mean, growing up in Essex was great. Um, Brentwood was where I grew up. That was my, my stomping ground. Um, many good years going to school there. Obviously started going out there uh, from a young age, probably 17. I might have been sneaking into places, but 18 onwards. Um, Sugar Heart, the Slug and Lettuce, all of them sort of places. You know, I was hanging around, meeting all the guys and gals. Um, but yeah, Essex was a fun, vibrant place full of unique individuals, and I think that's why people from around the country and around the world—they're very fascinated with Essex people. Yeah, um, we're we're very unique in the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we talk our culture the way that we look um so yeah I was up and around all of that um way before I, I got into TOWIE.
0: it's weird isn't it because you know um I'm am I'm a quite probably quite a bit older than you I don't know um I don't know roughly how old you are but I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm am of a certain age and so I was uh, <laughs> ra- I was around when um you know we had all the sort of brunt of the the you know the Essex girl and Essex boy stuff in the you know started really in the 80s with with um you know I think it was an article in the Daily Mail or something when they said the Essex boy and and um you know and I think we we're we're so often on the brunt of a lot of uh you know the rest of the country's sort of uh humor you know they 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 sort of they mock us but we're also uh, we also lead the way culturally, at, at the same time. So they may they may be laughing at us, but they they can't help but sort of watch us and 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 copy us. And I think what I mean, you know, I didn't I never really watched sort of Towie, but I think Towie was the the sort of um, the encapsulation of that. You know, that was it was it was like uh, it, it it really sort of sort of jumped on a, a sort of general feel uh, you know because london london leads the way in sort of culture but it also i think because essex is so close to it there's there's a lot of cross pollination if you if you want between the two so yeah i mean yeah. So, what do you think about that i mean how i mean how was it um so tell us about joining the series and you know in your early 20s and how you sort of dealt with the fame and all that sort of stuff you know how how was that i mean
2: Yeah. I mean, I look, if you're looking at like Essex, this is how I always explain it to people and like traditional Essex anyway, uh, for somebody who's never been there, Essex was ultimately the overflow to East London. yeah. And East London was the working man's uh, side of London. That's where the factories were, the warehouses were, um, Mm -hmm. you know, generally the poorer part of London um, back in the day. And when we kind of got overflowed into Essex after the war, so generationally, our parents, their parents, they're from that old school East London mentality, um, and that's kind of where the the Essex accent was kind of brought in. That's kind of where you've got the Essex hustle. Yeah. Um, and also, I think what makes the show the only way is Essex really great is the Essex pride. We don't like anybody mugging us off. We don't like anybody bringing (laughs) us down. We don't like being second best to anybody. You know, that's just that was just what was driven into us from a young age and being in and around those circles. So that's kind of Essex in a nutshell. But, yeah, I got into the show when I was 20. Oh, I might have been a bit younger than that. I was probably about 20, let's say. Um, And it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. Um, I had a little bit of experience with... Uh, My sister Chloe and um, Joey, my cousin, who had both been in the show before me, they were original cast members um, and they were kind of leading the way. And I, I was just watching them, watching how they were operating and how they were doing kind of really well from not really doing a lot. And, um, and I was looking at my own life at that point. I was working in the city. I'd got a, a junior apprenticeship as being a finance broker, broken bonds. And I was doing some crazy hours. And um, I was like, you know, the, these guys are making just as much money as me, if not more. They're having a lot of fun. They don't really seem to be doing a lot of work. And everybody knows who they are. So, you know, there was yeah. kind of a point in life where I was like, you know, I think I'm going to try this and see see how I get on and that was kind of my introduction into that world really um which led on to being very disappointed and uh ultimately finding out that I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't built for it and it wasn't all what it was cracked up to be. So, um yeah, just a, oh a very goodness. very early I think, realisation that, you know, fame isn't, isn't for everybody, and it isn't all what, what you think it is.
1: All right. That's so... Do you know, I was not expecting that, because I was going to ask you, obviously, before you were younger than... You said so you were, like, 19 or something. That's very young to get in, to be... Well, to be thrown into the limelight. So you said that it wasn't for everybody. It wasn't great. So... Obviously, this is a mental health podcast. Can you maybe give us this all sort of insight into how that did affect you, your personal life and your mental health?
2: Yeah, I think with reality TV, this is a really good example because we were talking about, you were talking about Tyson Fury earlier. Have you watched the Tyson Fury show? You know, he's been an athlete his whole life and he, he retired at one point and he fell into this kind of mental health uh, hole, if you like. Um, And an athlete and a reality TV star, two different industries, uh, two different uh, uh, expertise, but ultimately the same because the career um, length is very short for both. So you've got, you know, an athlete, generally they peak and then they've got five to 10 years max depending on what they do. And then you've got a reality TV star, they peak and generally it's even shorter than that. So, uh, and if you take Love Island as a really great example, you know, these guys, they're coming onto to Love Island, we were going on to Taui, you was getting to this rise of fame, peaking, and then all of a sudden you were dropping off and either leaving that show and not being able to find something else, and then you lose that fame and you lose that attention and you lose that purpose if you like. And that's what that's what happened to Tyson Fury. He became a world champion. He achieved his childhood dream. He boxed his whole life got to that point, he dedicated his life to it, sacrificed everything, won a world title, achieved everything he needed to achieve, went into that kind of retirement mode where he was like, well, what now? You know, no one's calling me a world champion anymore. I don't have to get up and train anymore. That was my daily routine. The same as we we all go to work. And as a reality TV star, you don't usually work. You wait until the production comes around and then you film. So if you're not filming, what are you actually doing? Can you go back into the real world after you've been famous and on TV and people want photos with you and et cetera, et cetera. So I found a little bit of that. I found a little bit of that. I, I, I lost my purpose in life um, yeah. when when I was on the show and off the show. Um, so that that made it difficult for me. And I also think the circumstances for me in that show, with family, in relationships, in that in that environment, it just wasn't good for me um and i found that out very quickly so
0: so i suppose with reality tv in a way you're exposed out of all the sort of different celebrity roots just i guess you're exposing yourself more than anyone because you um it's you isn't it (laughs) it's like when you're an actor, they, you know, you can, you can do your character and you can leave that character on stage or on film and then go home and have a private life and no one will really know about it. And I, I guess it's the same with singers. They'll go on stage, but then you can have a private life and, you know, whatever else. But reality TV, it's you. <laughs> so that must, um, that must have been quite intrusive in itself
2: very intrusive and you're ultimately agreeing to put your entire life um, in front of the camera and expose all of your deepest darkest secrets to everybody um, and air it out publicly and um that that's not so much the difficult part of it i think probably what was difficult during that period was social media was new and we came into the the era of twitter and um Mm -hmm. twitter if you're on twitter great for some things, news feeds, finding out information, but it could be an awful place for trolling. And, um, and as oh. you said earlier, you know, mm-hmm. the Essex, the Essex people, we, we tend to get mocked quite a bit. And um, that show, although it was a phenomenon and people, uh, people loved it, it, it did get mocked and people got mocked personally and personally attacked by people. And uh, social media was a big part of that. Um, so that would, that was a tough, a tough period to kind of figure out how that was going to work,
0: and and, and was there any um, support from the, the makers of the, the show for 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 you for, for sort of mental health? I know there is more nowadays after Caroline Flack, but was there anything for you? back
2: then? Yeah, I mean they introduced it, they started to introduce it, we had like a cast uh, I don't know if they call them psychologists but somebody that we would have to talk to, one, before we start shooting to make sure that we're mentally okay to to start shooting and then two, we kind of keep up talking to them as and when we needed to, and then you'd go into like a post with them as well once the show had been done. But I mean, I don't know if I remember it in the first season or a couple of seasons I did it with, but they definitely introduced it towards the back end of my time there. Um, and that was when a lot of the, the mental health stuff was kind of coming out about reality TV stars hitting huge heights of fame and then just being rolled off um, and, yeah. and ultimately just not being able to deal with it. Um, so I definitely commend the production companies for doing that. Um, I think they were protecting themselves as well. But yeah, I think it's it's definitely needed. The support system is definitely needed in, in that industry.
1: I was going to say they had to do something, didn't they? Because there was a spate where there's a few people that came from the reality TV shows and they actually took their own lives, didn't they? So it was a real sort of hot topic. I remember that. That must have been quite scary like for you, I guess, in the people you work with, your friends, right? So was there like a concern yeah. amongst yourselves?
2: Um, I never got to that place. I went to some pretty dark places, but I never got to that place. Um, and I can't imagine or and I never want to imagine what that feels like for me or for anybody. Um, but I got to a place where it was tough to get out of bed in the morning and a bit you know i was kind of having the usual panic attacks and um and the anxiety attacks which once you know it took me a bit of time to figure those out but there was a couple of times where i went to hospital and i was like you need to check my blood you need to check my heart um mm. uh, mm. you know and my my blessing my parents were like no there's nothing wrong with you you're having the panic attack but we'll take you to the hospital if you want to go and i was like yep yeah, you need to take me so it's wrong obviously they knew best at the time but um yeah i just had to go through that process of of learning a bit about that and that's probably where my mental health journey started started i started from there and I, and i realized that i can't i can't live like this you know yeah. this 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 feeling of waking up every day not wanting to get out of bed feeling anxious it, i just can't do this for much longer so i'm going to have to make some significant changes in my life in in, in order to be happy almost or uh, or balanced um so that's that's kind of where it started for me
0: did did you know because when I had my first panic attack it was so long ago I didn't even know what it was I literally thought I was dying and I think everyone who has panic attack for the first time thinks they're dying and and I also ended up in hospital a couple of times but did you know what it was or, or was or was it just like shit I'm having a heart attack or something like that
2: yeah i was kind of convinced that it was a heart attack like that's probably the best way to really um describe it you kind of go a bit numb you you lose your you lose your breath you can't really do anything um and it's just it 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 just goes on for ages as well or what seems like a long time um even though it probably is only a few minutes but i just i remember just you know, being in bed and, and I was called my parents and I was like, I can't get out of bed. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. I need you to come and get me and come and take me to the hospital. And that was when they sat me down was like, look, you know, you need to calm down, you're you're fine, but we're gonna take you to the hospital. If you really wanna go and get checked out and understand what's going on, we'll take you there. And they did take me there. And um, that was when I was like, this is the beginning of my mental health journey, but also the end, this was the end of my Taui days. This was, um, this was the end of, of my life and the people and some of the people I had in and around my life at that time. And that's when I needed to start making a change. um, Because everything that was making me feel like that was external. And it wasn't internal. And I had to start making some big changes in my life.
1: Do you know what, that's, I'm I'm glad you made that point, because I was going to ask you, you said that you, you started to realize it. I mean, on um, The Only Way is Essex, there's a lot of partying, a lot of the nightclub scenes and stuff like that. Was there, you, just, you know, ex- you said external things. Were were you around people that, I mean, without sort of calling anybody out, I'm, I'm assuming there was like, with the parties or from comes drugs and all the rest of it. Did you find that there was a bit of a spiral and did you end up getting involved in that sort of stuff to help you deal with the fame and the pressures of it?
2: Uh, actually, what happened was um, I kind of hit this this kind of uh, period just on the cusp of leaving the show. And then what happened was I was like in and out of like um, those, those panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And then I'd kind of get myself better. And then being young and stupid, I'd go out. And then I'd go out three four nights a week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, take a load of alcohol. I was never into drugs at all, but I drink a load of alcohol, um, young, free and single club until, you know, break of dawn and then come home. And then I'd have a panic attack the next day when I wake up and then wonder why, you know, so a lot of it was alcohol um, uh, intake. And obviously what that does to your, to your levels of anxiety and, um, yeah. you know, I was just, I was just a bit young, really. I was just very young. I was like a young kid, 21, you know, 21, 22 years old living my best life and, um, and actually just getting myself in a bit of a, a deep, dark hole with it. Um, and that, you know, I never went down the drugs route, but a lot of people do. And I think this is you know, when we start seeing people take their lives and stuff like that, it's usually when they're in a place of not knowing what they're doing. And that's usually fueled by drugs. Um, and thankfully I never got involved in that, but a lot of people do. Um, yeah, of course. And, and, and it's and it's sad and it's a shame.
1: All right. So um, sorry, one more question, Andy. I'm I'm excited, I'm on a roll. Um, you you said that it was the start and the end for you. So when you became aware of you know your mental health problems you knew something had to change you said you know the external factors and stuff like that what um what steps did you take to sort of get you on the road to recovery what 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 what, what sorry what works for you um,
2: yeah so i guess like my earliest introduction was like um and this is pro- probably quite a generic one um it was like i just got onto youtube and i just started typing in like how to deal with panic attacks how to deal with anxiety and um tony robbins never heard of this man before he came up on youtube and he did this big amazing speech in front of this huge audience and i was just mesmerized i was like who is this guy he's talking about everything you know that i feel and he's kind of motivated me to get out of that that zone and he's kind of inspired me um you know better and i just got into a bit of a a self-improvement journey where it was like, right, well, you know, this guy is talking some sense here. I need to start actually, you know, taking some of the, some of this advice on, I need to start changing the environments that I'm in. Um, the, the tower environment wasn't good for me. It was a community show. There were a lot of people, hungry people on that show that were trying to get somewhere and do something. And I just wasn't built for it. So uh-huh. I decided to leave the show, leave that environment behind, um, turn a new leaf and take on a new chapter. And ultimately I had to accept that I was giving up fame. um, And I was giving up my job, which was paying me. And I was going to have to start again. Um, And I was prepared to go back to work into a regular working environment and, and, and do that journey all over again. But probably with a lot more knowledge and a lot more experience in life then, yeah. you know, before I went on TOWIE. So that was kind of that, that kind of beginning and end really. Um, but yeah, I, I read a lot of books. Um, I, I watched a lot of YouTube. I watched a lot of, a lot of stuff on TV. I did all of the basic stuff, um, but it helped me. It helped me realize that where I was in, in my life and where I wanted to be. And uh, that's ultimately down, down to that, down to that Tony totally Robbins moment that kind of kick kickstarted me and got me out of it.
0: Thank goodness we've got all that material now, you know, we can search stuff online. There's brilliant books out there. I mean, there's a lot of crap out there, but there's some brilliant books, brilliant free resources and that, that, you know, that it's actually quite like what I've done, like what Tommy's done. It's actually quite easy to sort of self empower yourself and make, you know, I always say, it's. you know, I became my own mental health detective and and just looked at all the areas of my (laughs) life and broke it down And just worked on all the different things, um, you know, like diet and exercise and, you know, how I sleep and everything like that. And it's not rocket science. If you look after your environment, you look after your diet, you look after your body, you know, you make your life as happy as you you can be. You know, Johan Harry talks about this in his book, um, uh, Lost Connections, which I always go on about as well. But, you know, you do those things. It can make you. Like a huge difference, um, but I mean, so so you did, you left um, Towery after a couple of years, lot like in the height of your fame. So how was that? So what did you do? You you sort of started again then, I guess you had a sort of reset in terms of work and and everything. What happened then? Yeah,
2: I kind of uh, i i cut ties with everything that I was associated with at, at that at that moment. Um, I cut ties with, uh, the show, um, some of the people around me that I didn't need around me, which was very tough. If anybody's ever been through that, that's very tough to do. Um, and I just, I just took on this new journey of, right, well, I want to, I want to prove a point here. If I'm going to leave this show and I'm going to leave ultimately, you know, and we go back to purpose a little bit, my purpose back then was, oh, well, I'm Charlie Sims from The Only Way is Essex, and I'm kind of well-known within this space. And when I go out, you know, people know me. And that was kind of my thing when I was that age. And um, I was like, well, if people are not going to know me anymore, they need to know me for something else. And that was to, yeah. to, to be successful in business and to be respected in something else. And ultimately, I learned a lot, like, down the line that actually that wasn't really what I wanted. But it, it fueled me to go on this journey of... um starting my own business and and trying to be a successful entrepreneur, um, which started as a, a sports agency. I had a very small office, I had a desk and a laptop and, um, my dad, who is a boxing coach, um, he introduced me to some of his young boxers at the time who were looking for some commercial representation and me not knowing anything about the industry or really have a clue how that worked. I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to try it, and we'll see how we get on. Nice. And uh, that's kind of where the sports agency was born. Do
0: you, do you think? Do you think part of your success of, of that is, um doing that, is because you've got a stock city stockbroking past, haven't you? So you're you're sort of quite um, up with the sort of uh, cutthroat world of doing deals and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was stopped broken from the age of 16 until I was 20. So I had a good run at it and, you know, I, I got taught by some of the best negotiator, best negotiators I still know today, you know, how to really operate in that space. And I think I took that with me in the sports agency world, you know, part of what we do is to negotiate deals and contracts and read people, and communicate with people. And I, I'd already had that toolbox, if you like um, Mm. with me even throughout my Taui days, but I I just never needed it during those days. And when I got into the sports agency stuff, I I realized that, you know, I've already been here and done this and learned this. That's part, that was a big part of what I needed to do. Now I just need to learn about the industry and I need to learn about the athletes and, and figure out what they need. And that was kind of, um, that was kind of what I took on, you know, I really wanted to, to learn about it. And, uh, I really got my head down during that that space. And I, I opened my own company called Sim Sports Management back then. Um and I had that for about a year. And um and then I got headhunted to go to a huge sports agency called Wasserman, um, which are a global sports sports agency. They had huge offices in London and um and they wanted me to come there and develop their boxing department because they'd seen that I'd been making waves in that industry and yeah. uh, and they decided that they wanted somebody there to help them do that so i went and worked there for about four years after that
1: amazing so this this is actually really interesting because obviously you've come from a very sort of high profile background with uh the only essex now you're managing young up-and-coming fighters that are going to be uh you know dealing with the pressures of fame and not just fame as in famous but also like of athletes we spoke about this already earlier the the pressures that these athletes come under now there's been loads of publicity with boxers and mental health like obviously Tyson Fury we've already spoken about We we interviewed Frank Bruno before he told us about his struggles but you know this goes on like Ricky Hatton you know a lot of people that go through it do you feel like one you are equipped to maybe help your sort of clients to deal with this and also like do you Mind, have they struggled with it I mean I think you manage Connor Ben, don't you he's one of your yeah. clients because he's had a yeah. hell of a year isn't he? he's had a difficult
2: year very difficult year it's been an awful year for him for the team um, I've been across all of it um, I've had my yeah. ups and downs of boxing over the last year I'm not going to lie to you It's I've looked at it many times I've woke up many mornings and thought you know I've been doing this nearly a decade now do I really want to do this anymore? Like, it's just, you know, is it really what what I thought it was going to be, um, dealing with this kind of stuff? And I'm still here, still doing it. But, you know, I think when you look at boxing, boxing's taught me a lot about mental health. Boxers, in, in particularly, they're very unique individuals. You know, you think about what they have to do, what they have to go through. They train from a very young age. Like, we're talking, like, seven eight years old they're training their bodies they're going to boxing clubs they're boxing all of the best kids in their county then it becomes their nation then it becomes the world out on an amateur level then they might go to the olympics if they're really good and then they kind of if they medal they hit a whole kind of new level of fame um you know if you become an olympic gold medalist in our country you're pretty well known um, and yeah. then obviously they go on to the pro scene, which is the paid ranks. Um, they've got everybody wanting them, making them financial offers here, financial offers here, come on TV here, be this star, be the face of our platform. And then, you know, sometimes when you get into the ring with small gloves on and you're doing, and you're not doing three rounds anymore and you're doing 12 rounds and you're a young man who's 20, 22, 23, 24, and you're fighting somebody of the ages 30, 32, who's a big, physically strong man. You know the pro games where it really catches people out. And I think yeah. if you can if you can go through all of that amateur stuff and get that amateur pedigree and operate on a on a really high level, that's a really good way of introducing yourself to becoming a professional boxer. But for the people who don't, and then they throw themselves into the prize fighting of it. It's very, very difficult. And, um, you know, they train crazy amounts. You know, they're training two, three times a day over 12-week periods. They're cutting weight. Their diet's almost minimal. Um, and they have to make weight the day before they fight and glove up. And then they get into some brutal fights. And you have to start asking yourself when you get to know these people, what are these people made out of? You know, like, how do they do this? How do they put their selves through it? How do they put their young families through it? You know, some of them are married with children. You know, I just don't understand where they go, what zone they get into, to want to walk out in front of 20,000 people, get into a ring and fight a man that they barely know and knock the absolute shit out of each other until maybe one of them gets knocked out cold to eventually get up, hug each other, and then go off and uh, get paid, and then talk about doing it again in three months' time. It's just a very bizarre, <laughs> very bizarre sport. So you know, and and I think I love the sport because of that. It's it's you get moments in it, the highs and lows, and there's nothing in between. There's nothing in between. You're either yeah. you're either jumping up and celebrating from the ring to the changing rooms and talking about it for the next few months, or it's going to be that long walk back to the changing rooms of silence and ultimately disappointment. And you're just watching somebody think about their life and where do they go from here? Because you know, boxing, you take a loss. It's a very hard road back, you know? So
1: it's unforgiving, isn't it? It's unforgiving.
2: I've been a part of all of it. And it's, it's, it's been a journey and an experience to watch these people, either crumble or sometimes they come back and they 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 end up finding some resilience and 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 coming to achieve things that they should never have achieved but because of their desire and passion to win they they create dreams for themselves and and that's the that's the special part about boxing and I think that's the part that I'm still here I'm still in it for myself to be part of those journeys you know
0: but you but you said it's taught you a lot about mental health i mean has it ta- what's it taught you about men's mental health in general i mean what would you what uh, you know cuz you're a step away from it you you know you you are involved in it you're in you're involved in all the bluster from the agency other bosses and the other promoters and the other boxers and they're all giving you jib and stuff like that but you're not getting into the ring and having your head knocked about and stuff you know so that one step away what is that what has that taught you about mental health and and men's mental health be it you know being a
2: boxing promoter I think, I think mental health for me, like it's just, it's just as important as physical health. And I think this is a big, a big topic, I think, that needs to probably be spoken about more, not just for athletes, but for people as well. When you're feeling unfit, much like a, when an athlete's training for a fight, you go to the gym, you go on a diet and you work out, right? That's what most people do. When you're mentally unfit, people just tend not to talk about it. And they tend to just neglect it and think, oh, well, if I do all these other things, maybe it will go away. But actually, there's no difference between the mind and your brain and your body. You know, you you still have to train it. You still have to have control over it. And I think with boxers, they're very good at training their body physically. They go to that zone that I said earlier. I don't know how they do it. They break barriers with it they can get into a place of literally going through burnout but for some reason mentally they just they're just normal people and they they're trying to do something that isn't normal and it isn't natural to get in and fight somebody so i've started to i've started to see that and this ultimately comes down to peak performance and that's not just a physical thing that's mental as well and how do people get into that peak performance Um, and that's something that I've taken on in my own journey recently as well, you know, but for boxers, I've been on this, this kind of trying to create this blueprint for probably the last three or four years of developing a team around these boxers that covers all areas. And that's including the mind, the mental, um, their mental strength as well and i think a lot of other sports bigger sports football nba uh, american football they have huge amounts of money huge teams huge facilities and they've been doing this for a while but with boxing it's just one of those sports that's been a little bit slower the money hasn't been great until this point and we're just starting to develop those teams now where we're starting to bring in mindset coaches psychologists um and people that can talk to them um, and allow them to uh, express themselves freely without having to talk to me, their agent, or their promoter, or their boxing coach. You know, This is somebody that understands sport, understands the mentality that they need to get into to perform at the highest level, and they need to speak about not just you know, their work, but also their personal life too, because ultimately, going back to external things, when, when, when you're being affected by things, sometimes it comes from external things. And I think we're, we're now giving our fighters and my team in particularly, and we're one of the first teams to do this in the UK, uh, an outlet and somebody who's who's part of that camp and who, who plays a part in after the fight as well, whether you win or you lose and they go through that that process with you. So yeah, I've learned a lot about mental health. I've learned a lot about athletes and it's been, you know, if anything, if any, if, if I look back on anything that I do now within this sport, we can talk about the deals, we can talk about the money, we can talk about the great wins and the, and the low lows. But if anything that I've achieved great in this sport, it was probably implementing a team that supports a young man going on a very, very tough journey
1: love it love it that's what well, i say boxing's the loneliest sport don't well, young, they? Man, that's what they young
2: say. man or woman i should say i represent both yeah
1: yeah absolutely Full inclusion um okay so listen you you've spoken about the aftercare that's amazing because actually frank bruno mentioned how lost he felt when he retired and like that's something that's affected a lot of boxers but going back to um You said you learned a lot of stuff. So what things do you implement on a day-to-day for yourself to keep yourself mentally in tip-top shape? Could you share a few of them with us?
2: Yeah. I think actually this is like, this has been a long journey for me. And I think I'm one of them people that I can beat myself up a little bit if I'm, you know, if I'm not getting things right and I'm not really – you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to work towards something, it just isn't working for me. But I think that's just part of this journey. And I've been at it for years. And um, like, you know, even the other day, I was like, I need to change something here. Like, this just isn't working for me, this routine. I've been going at this routine for about a year now. And, and that starts really, really from sleep. Sleep is a big, big part of our recovery. Um, and if you're not getting the right amount of sleep, and we can go really scientific and go into REM if you want to get into it. But if if you're waking up and you're not feeling 100%, it's usually because you haven't recovered properly from the day before, mm-hmm. haven't got enough sleep. Then the biggest thing for me now on my, on my daily mental journey is the morning routine. If I don't get the morning routine right, it really doesn't set me up for a good day. So I've started to implement... um a a new diet I've started to um, wake up at a certain time and make sure that I set my alarm every day for the same time whether it's Saturday or Sunday um, to make sure that my body clock's always operating on that time zone so I can I can I'm almost getting up now before the clock goes off which is quite nice um, because my body's just so used to getting those certain amount of hours of sleep The, the alarm clock's going off at that certain time I'm waking up getting that first glass of water in very important most people go straight to the coffee don't do it we all know we're not supposed to do it but we can't help it it just it's just something that we all have to do it's been unfortunately marketed to us throughout years and years and years that the first thing you do you get up and you drink coffee don't do it get the glass of water in first doesn't have to be a big glass but just enough to kind of kick start your body and then you can have your your coffee afterwards um and yeah I tried to train now, I'm trying to stretch, I'm trying to walk, I'm trying to run as much as I can, um, just trying to get outside. but one of the most important things that I've been doing um, and this is really to deal with stress, anxiety, and just being able to deal with the hard decisions that we make in the day, especially if you're if you've got a, a high pressure job like I have. Uh, one of the the techniques that I've been working on every day from the moment I get up is breathing. Breathing is super important. If you if you don't do uh, if you don't have a a breathing technique, I, I would urge you to go and look at, look into it, because breathing is something that we all have to do to live and survive. And ultimately, uh, many of us go through life without actually asking how it even works or understanding why we breathe. And breathing. It's a huge part of the fight and flight mechanism that's that's engraved into all of us. And um, you know, if you can get into if you if you if you get into a, a tough point of the day, something happens to you, you're under pressure, you, you go into that subconscious uh fight or flight mode where you're breathing. But you so I tried to tackle that. I try to tackle that very early on in the day, as soon as I get up. And um, I have a breathing technique and I've been working with uh, a coach called Greg Meehan at Rise. Um, and he's been going through some stuff with me. But that's probably been the biggest and newest thing that I've implemented into my daily schedule.
0: Yeah, because, uh, you know, and for anyone listening, breath work isn't something that's, um, you know, it can be something really, really simple, like just, but um, you know, we've spoken about box breathing before. Look up box breathing just counting your breaths just doing simple you know count in for four hold for two out for eight or something like that you know as as simple as that you can really reset your whole um your whole nervous system completely or Mm -hmm. your or should we call your your parasympathetic nervous system as opposed to your sympathetic nervous Mm -hmm. system so so yeah it's not something airy-fairy and Hard to do. It's literally just taking uh, notice of your breath, stopping, um, and then just um, you know concentrating on that it could be for about a minute. So, um, yeah. and it's very important. Um, just kind of moving on from that. So, the stuff that you do, have you noticed how mental health is treated differently out there in LA as opposed to how it is here in in the UK? You've probably got a good insight on that as well.
2: I think health in general it's treated very differently and it's something that's almost it's almost thrown in your face here. Um, and I think that's just a culture that they have here. Uh, every time you walk out onto the street, there's gyms, there's smoothie shops, there's wellness centers, there's vitamins, there's everything you need in order to be healthy uh, and fit is in your face here. And I'm from Brentwood, Essex, small town. Um, we have gyms and we, and we have some places where you can buy a smoothie and stuff, but it just isn't part of our culture. Um, and I just feel like here, the weather's great. A lot of people are wanting to get physically in shape too. Um, and also, I think the mental culture here is that it's pretty normal to have uh, a psychologist or a shrink, as they call them, on a regular basis. And that isn't because most people need clinical help. It's because they just want that going back to that person that they can talk to externally and just relieve their problems and figure out how they're going to start their day, how they're going to start their week and how they're going to get through that period of time of feeling like this and why they feel like this. So, yeah, it's it's a bit different to back home. We are catching up with it a bit back home. People it is becoming a little bit more normal. I think we've got a lot of work to do still. The one good thing that we do have back home, which they don't have here, is that we have the NHS. They don't have uh, a national health service here. It, it, all the health uh, stuff, whether it's mental or physical, you have to pay for it. And it's very, very expensive. Um, so that is a bit of a, a downfall here that they need to change and they need to take on a little bit of what we have. But I think ultimately it won't be too long before uh before the u k catches up,
0: yeah, I mean it's bloody, expensive out there, isn't it, and yeah, and let's hope um uh let's hope we don't get the same model over here, but let's not get
1: political um about that um, <laughs> yeah, sit down and sit down. I've got a question, so all right we we speak about l a it does look amazing, um obviously, you're in l a to shoot your new show. Um, so this is a huge, huge thing. It's called the house of Sims, uh, and it is, you can watch it on only fans. Is that creates Only fans TV.
2: Yeah. Only fans TV, which is the, uh, the host streaming platform. Um, we came up with the concept of house of Sims about a year ago. Um, and it was just a, a really simple concept, actually. We just sat down as a family and we were like, you know what? We've, been, we've all been a part of The the Only Way is Essex um, at all different, uh, all different periods. Um, my sisters were still on it at the time. And, uh, and we were like, you know, maybe it's time to leave that and go on and do something else, which they agreed with. And it was like, you know, what should we do? You know, what, what do we want out of life? You know, we, we can film a show in Essex, but everybody's kind of seen that. So, you know, what do we want to do? And um, and it was like, you know, where are dreams made? Where can we go where, you know, you can put your name in the bright lights and you can see the billboards and the stars. And it, and it, everybody was just like, Hollywood, let's go to Hollywood. Let's just see if we can go there and make it. And um, it was just about following that story of packing up, you know, just a normal family. We grew up in humble beginnings um, and we packed all of our stuff up and we left and we took on this this journey of, uh, of chasing your dreams. And and we came here and we faced a lot of challenges. Um, a lot of things that we didn't, we didn't know about, uh, a lot of cultural differences. Um, this is a very, very big place, very tough place to make it. And, uh, and yeah, we got humbled very, very quickly (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you want to, if you want to put it like that, but, um, you know, we're still on this journey. I'm still here, Chloe's still here. And we're about to start shooting season two in literally a, a matter of weeks.
1: That's amazing. So I, I've got another question. Obviously, um, earlier on, you sort of mentioned that you realized why you're doing TOWIE, TOWIE, t- t- sorry, TOWIE, TOWIE, t- that um, it wasn't for you. You wasn't built for it, was your words. Do you feel what you've been through the last few years with the boxing and stuff like that on your own mental health journey, do you feel better equipped? Did you feel better equipped, shall I say, because you've already done season one, you're about to film season two. Did you feel better equipped going into it this time around that you would be able to handle it, that you weren't going to face the same pitfalls that you had previously?
2: Oh, 100%. I've just, I've been on a long journey since then and um, I've realised that, you know, i will I knew how to deal with this the second time around and I knew what I needed to do. Um, but also, you know, the concepts are very different and it's a family concept and not a community concept. So I wasn't having to work alongside or deal with people outside of my family, which I think was a big part of it for me. And also, I had a big hand in the creative aspect of it. Um, I obviously wrote the concept. Um, I executively produced the show so you know i had a big a big say in how i wanted this 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 show to go um and it was a really exciting opportunity and something that i really wanted to do um and i wasn't sure how big my part was going to be in the first series like i've always been you know my, i've always championed my sisters i've always put them ahead of me um and i've always kind of been the big brother but just in the background and i'm here if you need me and it turns out that I played quite a big part in Series 1. So I assume that that's going to be similar in Series 2. But, you know, I wasn't expecting anything this time. And I think that's kind of the difference from from the last series, uh, from me being in The Only Way is Essex. You know, I, I had these expectations. I had these needs and wants. And I didn't have that this time. I kind of let it go. I let it flow. And I, and I, and I had an idea of how I wanted the show to be, not how I wanted it to be. And that's what kind of made it, that's what kind of made it uh, different, and and it made it a really uh, exciting uh, experience. And I'm really looking forward to shooting season two.
0: That's amazing. Well, we um, we're now at an hour in, so I think we should sort of draw it uh, to an end. It's been absolutely amazing. And just one question, so so Tommy. He's done a bit of boxing. He's well into. He's a boxer. But you could you could sort of say very loosely he's a boxer. I am from Essex. I mean, you run a talent agency, so you obviously. I mean, we we us two as we we are talent. I mean, you you know, do you need a couple of podcasters to join <laughs> your a- agency? <laughs>
2: yeah i mean listen you guys you guys you guys have got a bigger purpose at the moment than being professional boxers and and talent you guys are out there and you're pushing you're pushing the word of mental health for men yeah that is a far that is a far bigger job and far bigger purpose than trying to make it as a youtube influencer these days so um i would i would stick to what you're doing you're doing a good job
1: that was the best sort of rejection I think we've ever received. <laughs> 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 but he took a shot, didn't he? Andy, he saw, he saw his opening. and he took a shot. Good lad. <laughs> no, that, that's the best
0: way, isn't it? You, you sort of let them down. You say no, but you big them up at the same time, you know. So in, in you, they're left sort of blindsided. It's like, no, I don't want you at all, but you're amazing.
2: You do what you do. And you're yeah. like, huh? Big pat on the back. See you later. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Wish you all <were> the best. <laughs> oh oh
1: God! You know I'm this one's ending. I've got so many more questions. I've got so many more questions. We need to do a. We need to catch up with you. Maybe we're, after season two. We'll
2: do it. Yeah. Yeah. Love to. Love to. It's been great. And I, I really, I really do mean that. You're doing a great job. Continue what you're doing. Keep pushing the word um you, you two are great guys you have a really lovely way about you both i've enjoyed it oh. a lot and um, so hopefully we'll catch up again soon after series two.
0: Oh thank you very much good, good, yeah good, good luck with it all yeah yeah um and uh that is it that is the end of a fun packed amazing podcast um Tommy,
1: sorry, have you got anything else to say before? Yeah, just uh, I would just like to say, obviously, when can we expect season two of the House of Sims? Let's just let's get that in next. I, you know, I think it's fair that we let you share that with uh, yeah. our listeners. And
2: so, House of Sims season two is going to start shooting on the nineteenth of September. Uh, We're going into production. You can keep up with behind the scenes and updates across our social medias, in particularly our OnlyFans, which is at Charles Sims and at Charles Sims underscore on Instagram. But the new season is going to land exclusively on OFTV. It's free. You can stream it on your iPhone or any smartphone, any smart device, your laptop, just by typing in www.oftv.com you can watch season 1 there now that's uh, that's ready to binge watch but um i reckon the new season season 2 will be ready about january february time so keep an eye out for that
1: exciting brilliant. stuff thanks very much mate Br- brilliant awesome. and
2: thank you
0: and and the hunt for an agent for us continues tommy anyway <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak to you later everyone take look after yourselves and we'll chat to you next time bye bye